Word for You is presented by Grace Point Church in Lakewood, Ohio. We are located at the intersection of Warren and Alger and welcome you to visit us in person or online at gracepointlakewood.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-P-O-I-N-T-E-L-A-K-E-W-O-O-D dot com. Listen to podcasts of sermons from our pastor, Mike Bartolone, and various guest pastors. You will see that grace is always the point, and you are always welcome. Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18, I like to read today. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. So if you think you can pull the wool over God's eyes, he knows everything that's going on. You can't hide. You can't do it in secret and think he didn't see it. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. That sounds like protection. And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Isn't that powerful? I mean, darkness to me is dark, but to God they're both the same. He operates in darkness as he can operate in light. Verse 13 says, For you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they, are, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also... Are your thoughts to me, O God? How great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Amen. Let's go to Ezekiel 47, verses 1 through 12 is what I'm going to read. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, verse 1, 47, 1. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple. 
toward the east. Say east. For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. And he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits. And he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Say ankles. That's when you're saved. The water is up to your ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. And the water came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000. He brought me through the water, and it came up to my waist. And he measured 1,000, and it was a river, say river, that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, that's who we are, have you seen this? And he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And I, when I returned there along the bank of the river, there were many trees on one side and the other. And then he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. The sea is the world. And God is interested in healing the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live and there will be very great multitudes of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed and everything will will live wherever the river goes if you want to know who the river is it's you because you're going to see in a minute in john 7 it is you it shall be that the fishermen will stand by it from Edget in Gidi to En Eglon, there, there will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many, but its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. And they will bear fruit every month because the water flows from the sanctuary their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine let's go to Revelation the book of Revelation twenty two Revelation twenty two verses one through five And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Who's the tree of life? Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Are you convinced? Okay. Who's the tree of life? Thank you. Which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. 
there shall be no more curse. How many know this book's about? This book's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not about end times. This is not about the end. You've got to read the title that's over the book. If somebody teaches opposite, they're in the wrong book. Are you with me? There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They shall need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. Are you not the light of the world? Did you read about that in Matthew 5? And they shall reign forever and ever. Now let's go to John chapter 7. John seven thirty seven. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood on that last day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Who is the sanctuary? Who is the temple? We are. Where is the water flowing? Out of us, to the world, to the nations. With healing and supernatural and things just flowing all the time. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whose whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But we know he is now. One of my favorite books in the Bible, I bet you can't guess it, is Mark. Let's go to Mark. I love the Gospel of Mark because he doesn't mess around with any genealogies in the beginning. He cuts right to the chase. He starts talking about Jesus immediately. Jesus moves in this book with an urgency of movement of going deeper still. Remember we talked about going deeper still a couple of weeks ago? Well, this is the book that we can go deeper still. And Jesus' family arrives and one of his, at one of his meetings convinced, convinced Jesus' brothers and family arrives at one of Jesus' meetings and are convinced that Jesus is crazy. Just in Mark chapter 1, without going through the whole chapter, the word immediately, which is another word for suddenly. Did you ever hear the word suddenly? Something's going to happen suddenly, suddenly. But the word immediately or suddenly is found in the Gospel of Mark 40 times. And in this book, just in, just in the first chapter, you will find the word immediately eight times. John Mark is so eager to relate the story of Jesus, he skips the nativity. Goes right to the Jordan River and the baptism of, Je of Jesus and then shows us a Jesus on the move, healing the sick and casting out devils. That's what, how John Mark sees Jesus. 
He don't see the genealogies. He don't see the nativity. He don't talk about the birth. He just gets right to the chase. We're talking about Jesus. Amen? And then if you turn with me to chapter 4, he begins to teach the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower explained the use of the parables, the growing of the seeds. He says that when he began to teach that the crowds were so big by the sea that he had to get in a boat and teach from the deck of the boat because the crowds were so big and they were crammed with people on the beach. And then in chapter this chapter, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, he ends at the beginning of the same day and with Jesus telling his disciples, a few little words in John, excuse me, Mark 4.35. Mark 4.35, it says, On the same day of all that stuff that just happened, the same day, the same, when evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. Who said that? Jesus. Who's the tree of life, right? Who's the creator? Who's God? Tells these boys, his followers, let us cross over to the other side. Directly across on the eastern shores of the Sea of Galilee is the city of Gadara, or the Gadarenes, culturally, culturally more Greek than Jewish. And this kind of town that it, it, it was the kind of town that good Jewish boys had likely been taught to never go there. But consider Mark's wild, adventurous style as a reflection of how the disciples must, must have felt about this journey across the sea. Things are moving quickly, and in these chaotic and confusing early days of Jesus' ministries, I have to believe that these disciples, like many in the church today, have more questions than answers. They don't get it. I, I, I'm convinced much of the church is sound asleep. They are. They're just sleeping. Sleeping in Jesus. Ankle deep. Not knee deep. Not waist deep. Not in the river swimming. Just ankle deep. And when they arrived at the shores of the Gadaras, let's, let's read this passage, and then I'll explain some things. It says, verse 1. I'm going to go back to verse, up for verse 35. Excuse me. Verse, I saw it one because that's where I start, but it's verse 35, Mark 4:35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, "Let us cross over to the other side." And when they had when they had left the multitudes, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat. So that it was already filling. What was it filling with? Air? Water. <laughs> but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They didn't call him Jesus. They didn't call him Creator. They didn't call him God. If you read Mark 1 through 4, you'll find out that even the demons 
knew who Jesus was. Have you come here before your time to torment us? That's what the demon said. In, in, in Mark 5, they knew, but the disciples said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? Who is this guy? What is our teacher trying to teach us? That even the wind and the seas obey him. So they arrive on the shores of the Gadarenes, the Gadar of Gadara, and Jesus is met by a young man from whom he cast out a legion of demons. Legion, say legion. You know what legion stands for in the Bible? 144,000. That's a lots of demons in one man. You can read about them in Mark 5 when you go home this afternoon. Sending them into a herd of pigs. I guess... Jesus didn't like bacon, you know, or, or pork chops. <laughs> the pig was an unclean animal in Jew Jewish culture, and their presence might indicate that Gadara was not only Gentile, but that the pig was used for ritual sacrifice. We can assume that most of Jesus' disciples have never stepped foot into Gadara, and there was nothing there for them, and they had no interest in going there at all, much like Jonah being told by God to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel. What did Jonah do when he was told by God to go preach to Nineveh? He got on a ship and went the opposite way. And a storm arose. And he went to he was being sent to go to the Gentiles. He didn't want to go. He didn't want Nineveh to repent. No more did then these disciples wanted these Gadarenes to get healed or cast out demons or to know Jesus. And while there was nothing of interest to the disciples, there was fertile ground for Jesus. When he told them where they were going, there must have been a stir among the group. They were probably mumbling to themselves, why would we waste time in such a heathen place? The Jewish world of Jesus' day did not mingle in social settings with Gentile world. To do so was considered unclean. But Jesus like no other, will challenge us in ways we do not always like. I'll say that again. Jesus, like no other, will challenge us in ways we do not always like. Like he did here with these new disciples. They, like many Christians today, have yet to experience all the things Jesus is wanting to introduce to us. I believe Jesus wants to take us deeper. I believe he wants to show us more than we've already seen. I believe he wants us to understand things that we've never understood before. But are we willing? Are we open? See, the thing that can get us through these things is always the same thing. Jesus is all-encompassing love. He loves us. And he wants us to see more things and new things. But for the first time, but not the last, they could sense the current of the river of God's love and they found that, went, that, that it went wherever they dared to trod. 
And as the boat moved across the sea to the shores of the heathen city, again, the scripture said, a great windstorm, a great windstorm, verse 37. And the waves beat into the boat, so the boat was already being swamped. I imagine, like many today in our world, saw the storm as evidence that God was sending judgment. These professional men of the sea were terrified. Having forgotten Jesus' words of promise before they left the shore, in verse 35, let us cross over to the other side, the promise. He gave them the promise to go to the other side. The word crossover could be also seen if you study the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews means to cross over from the old covenant to the new covenant. And many church people and Christians have not yet have yet to cross over and really believe that we're in the new covenant and stay there. They're always going back to the old, grab the old, let's grab the old, grab the old and bring it into the new, let's bring it into the new. Let me just tell you something. When you got law and you got grace, and you put them both together, and you know what the end result is? Law, not grace. Whenever you mix covenants, you got a problem going on. We're in the new covenant. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus came to introduce the new covenant in the Gospels. That's what he came to do, to show us a new covenant. Amen? And as a counterpoint to their terror, or perhaps contributing to it, Jesus was sleeping, resting, while they were terrified, afraid. These are professional seamen. They've been in the sea before of Galilee. They're fishermen, and they're afraid. And Jesus is sound asleep. And while they toiled, he slept. His calm amid chaos is the single most important lesson from this boat ride. Jesus sleeps. He rests. Because he knows who he is. And he knows where he is going. He's going to the other side. He knows where he's going. And his sleep does not indicate that he's apathetic or unconcerned, but that he is at rest with who he is and what he's there to do. Because he's already heard the Father tell him what to do. Just like we can hear the Holy Spirit telling us what to do. You know, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but most people just leave the phone off the hook and don't want to hear the dial tone anymore or the call. They don't want to hear what Jesus is trying to tell them, so they just keep the phone off the hook. But just like his journey into the wilderness to face the devil, nothing can shake, nothing can shake a man that is at rest in his identity. When you're at rest in your identity, and I, I push identity hard here. You know that. Because it's everything. And I'm telling you something. When, you, when the storms of life come, and they will come, we'll find out what you're made of at that point. Because we find out what we're made of when the heat's on, not when we're in calm seas. If there were calm seas, we wouldn't even know what was going on. But as soon as the storm comes, we find out what people are made of. 
See, if Father God has led him to Gadara, then there's no cause to fear. Am I right or wrong? Right? The storm may rock the boat, but it cannot keep Jesus from his assignment. Right? Jesus' understanding is the source of his rest, and his rest is the blueprint for all of our journeys in life. Right? Will storms come? Yes, they will. Will difficult times come? Yes, they will. We'll find out if we can rest in our identity. Or if we want to run or tag off and go find something else. But we too can endure any trial and face any storm if we go into the into them, into any storm or trial, knowing who we are in the eyes of the Father. What does God think about me? You know, we just need to learn to play for the audience of one. We, need to, we don't need an audience of many. Just one. Amen? We can rest in the chaos when we accept His Word for our lives. A lot of people get words, a lot of people get prophesied to, and they, stay, they can't accept it. You can't see it. They can't see it. See, Jesus told them, Jesus told them in verse 35 where they were going. He told them before they got into the boat, we're going to the other side. That makes their arrival there a foregone conclusion, right? When Jesus, is named, when Jesus names your destination and then gets into the boat with you, you can be positive that you will make it to the other side, right? Why fear? Just join Jesus and take a nap. Get in your easy chair. Put some TV on and go to sleep. That's what I do. I don't watch much TV. I just go to sleep. Nothing is more guaranteed to your way than taking the great adventure of faith with Jesus in the boat with you. Because he's always with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with you, right? And the great adventure is so great for the very fact that it does not guarantee a storm-free experience. Mark 4.38 Teacher, not God, not the Creator, simply teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus was in such a content state of rest that not even a raging storm could disturb him. <clears throat> I mean, no, it had to be pretty bad if professional seamen were afraid and terrified. But yet Jesus was sleeping. And as the winds blew and the boat rocked, the disciples feared enlarged. Or, uh, I mean, their fear got greater. To the point they said, let's wake Jesus up. Do you think they were talking among themselves? Should we wake Jesus up? Or should we just let him sleep? What should we do? Let's trust what he said. We're getting to, he said we're going to go to the other side. Let's just trust that word. Let's trust his promises, 7,700 that are in the Bible. We're going to trust his promises? Are we going to fear? And let's just, let's just shake Jesus. Let's shake him, wake him up. So they shook Jesus to awaken him to their situation. 
the first thing they as if they as if he says do you care they, the first question do you care Jesus teacher do you care can you imagine asking Jesus if he cares how many times have you done it uh. Uh. we know him as the epitome of concern and care right Yet, like this scene, our storms of life can shake our confidence and faith in the best of us. And there's a lot of shaking going on right now in the church. A lot of shaking going on. A lot of people are being shaken because they still don't know who they are in Christ. There's a lot of people that don't know the promise. I'm here to take you to the other side. And this encounter teaches us that there's a place of rest within our identities in Christ that many, even some in this room today, have yet to discover. This place of rest, if truly understood, can lead us to peace and calm during chaos. And it's truly beyond our understanding. Philippians 4.7. Read it. Philippians 4.7. Because it's impossible to be so at peace in who you are in Christ that those around us will confuse your rest with a lack of concern like Jesus. They confused, They were confused because they were fearful. And whenever you're fearful, you're going to get confused. And you're going to look at people who are resting in the midst of a storm while you're having a, part, a, a, a party with the storm and you're confused. You're going to misrepresent those who love you and are caring and concerning. But because of your fear, all you can think of is they don't care about me. They don't love me. And they leave the flock. See, I've been experiencing this in my own life regarding some of the happenings today in our world. I have found that to navigate a world of 24-hour news cycles and instant responses via social media outlets, we must look inward to Christ within who is living in us every minute of the day and night. When I stop to take it all in, that is mine, that what is mine in Christ, what he thinks of me and how he loves me, I have found that I can rest as the world rages on. And the world's on a rage pit right now. Right? See, many will confuse this with apathy regarding current events or crazy debates. But I have chosen not to join the fight for things that do not involve my call as a believer or my ministry, but to rather rest in knowing who I am and where I'm going. Where am I going? To the other side. Amen? And let the storm around us rage. It shall not come near us in Christ. Amen? Because Jesus said in Mark 4.39... Now listen, Jesus, after he was woke up, right, and the disciples were afraid, he could have easily just said, grow up. What did I tell you in verse 35? We're going to the other side. He could have just, and then he could have turned over, went back to his pillow, and went sound asleep again. But he didn't. He didn't. Verse 39, he arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still. 
And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Now, for your information, this was also, even doesn't say there, this was also an immediately, suddenly, what Jesus did. But there are times in all of our lives where we need to be reminded that we're never alone. A lot of people think they're alone all the time. But Christ is in us. And not one of us here today is an island by themselves. We are all part of a family, the family of God. We're all part of a community, Grace Point Community. We're all a part of the body of Christ, whether we like it or not. And whenever people within our community on this boat ride of life become fearful, it becomes important for us to pay attention to them and their needs. Right? Right. And that's what we do. When the, the disciples wake Jesus, he doesn't just shrug, turn over and say, Go and pray. Leave me alone. Content with his own identity. No, a thousand times no. He leaves his place of rest, confronts the world around them, loving those who he had with him as himself. Their ignorance doesn't exclude them from his protection. Neither does ours. See, God ain't going to turn on you. He's not going to turn his head. He's not going to... If you wake him up and you're shaking in your boots, he's coming. He's going to help you. He's going to love you. He's going to protect you. Amen? He is faithful even when we are faithless. 2 Timothy 2.13 the responsibility of their stability was laid in front of Jesus. And Jesus attends to their needs like we should for everyone here in our community or family when they have certain needs and they're fearful. There is, no, there, there is so much to learn in these passages in account rather than just rebuking the storm. A lot of people, I've heard this sermon a thousand times, and all I hear from it and all the churches learn from it is how to rebuke. There's more in this passage than rebuking. Before there was a rebuke, there was a rest. I'm not saying you can't rebuke, but rest first. Know who you are in Christ before you start rebuking. Storms are opportunities to learn, just like the wilderness. We will never learn what we are made of in calm waters. We do find a lot about ourselves when the heat is on. Truthfully, we do not need a philosophy to live by when times are good, for good times take care of themselves. Only when things go bad do we need someone to show us the way out. And as much as we all have to learn how to face our storms with rest and identity in Jesus, we also need to learn that we can speak into the swirl of life for others and bring peace for them as well. And this, too, is a part of our call in Christ. We've got to be ready, church. The world out there is a mess. It's raging. And we are the peacemakers. We carry peace. The peace of Christ is in us. We have to be willing to lay our hands on people, touch them, give them words of hope. 1 Corinthians 14.3, exhort them, encourage them, comfort them, pray for them. Sometimes just a little prayer change their life like, like you can. It's, it's a miracle. And as much as we have to do, we have to learn that. Unfortunately, again, rebuke tends to be the first response of many believers today. They want to rebuke the darkness. They want to rebuke sin. 
They want to rebuke immorality. They want to rebuke bad theology and anything and anyone that seems to be against us. But rest gets pushed off to someday in heaven. But rest should never be second to rebuke. Never. There's a rest that remains for the people of God. And that rest is found in blessed assurance that we are safe all the time in the Father's care. If we all adopted a more at rest lifestyle, we might be less likely to be to have a stern voices of rebuke. At least until rebuke was necessary, and that would be spoken in love according to the Bible. Speak the truth in love. Our Bible, our Bible say that. Let me close with some last thoughts. Rest is something we enter, not something we thrust upon us by death. The author of the book of Hebrews declared in Hebrews 4.10 that those who enter God's rest cease from their labors as God did from his. Why was Jesus sleeping? He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He was in the boat, sleeping, taking a nap. Why they were toiling. Ah, we're going to die! <laughs> and then he encouraged us to make every effort to enter that rest which tells us that this is something we can have now despite our circumstances. Hebrew links faith and obedience as the way into that rest, teaching us that the call to adventure must be accepted and that acceptance is the pathway to rest. When you know Jesus did it all, there's nothing to fight for. If you really believe that Jesus defeated the devil on the cross, which it says that in Colossians and also in 1 John, you don't have to be devil conscious anymore. You could be Jesus conscious. You could be at peace conscious. You could be at rest conscious. Amen? See, the disciples couldn't rest because they were focused on the storm. And maybe they were focused on the storm because they were afraid of going to the other side. They don't want to go to the other side. I like where I'm at. That's the church today. They don't want to go to the other side. They don't want to cross over into the new covenant. They want to stay where they're, oh, I'm comfortable. This is what I learned all my life. I'm staying here. I'm comfortable. Don't, I don't, don't ask me to change. God's asking you to change. If there's anything that God does in that Bible, he demands change. He, he, just, he, wants, he, he wants us to go with him where he's at. And in any case... The disciples, they went from fear to anger. They didn't go from fear to rest. They went from fear to anger and misdirected it at Jesus. They were angry at Jesus that he was sleeping while they were going through the storm. And a lot of people are angry today because what's happening in the world. They're fearful and they're angry. And now they're trying to blame God's people. Why are you at rest? Because I'm saved. Amen? All my sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. I don't know about where you dwell, but that's where I dwell. And I have to remind myself sometimes that. Because sometimes I make mistakes, I slip up, and I want to get back into some kind of confession craziness or repentance craziness when the Bible says I'm already forgiven for all my sins, past, present, and future. Had they a revelation that his instructions 
was representative of his concern, they, have, they, would, they may have laid down beside him. If they really got it, they may have laid down beside him and enjoyed a rest of their own. That would be a scene to see, huh? Jesus and all of his disciples sleeping in the boat in a storm going to the other side. That would be a good movie. When we miss the heart of the Father, we miss the opportunity to rest in his goodness. The world is full of misdirected anger, and much of it comes from God's people. Ouch. Where's the rest? Where's the grace? Where's the love for his truth, his word? Storms are good for atmosphere, both on the planet and in our hearts. The result of a ride through a storm with Jesus will be more than calm the waters for an invitation to rest. As I pointed out earlier, Mark said the disciples were filled with great awe. They had never encountered anyone like Jesus. They had no idea who he was. They have never seen anyone so confident in who they are and could face the storms of life in this manner. Let me give you one big promise. Jesus never will leave us afraid or fearful or empty or alone. In fact, he does not leave us at all, ever. Once you give your life to him, he's always with you. Always. Go to Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all you, heart, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? doesn't say fear. doesn't say he's going to make us afraid. He said, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. You get a chance later, read that in the Message Bible as well. Okay? Thank you.
one time and see one thing, another time and see something more, another time God takes you deeper and deeper in every scripture. That crossing over is a beautiful picture of Jesus coming to save the Gentiles. half of Matthew 11 in the message says I will show you how to take a real rest. How many know Jesus knew how to sleep in a storm? Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 